Hello. <clears throat> I apologize for being late. Uh, didn't get this uh, uploaded last night, but uh, <clears throat> did want to get started on our uh, first, uh, our first part of John chapter number six, and uh, we're going to dive into that. Uh, hopefully, we're going to tackle the first twenty-one verses, uh, and after that, we'll uh, um, we'll kind of wind things up right here. But uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll dive into the text. Our Father, Lord, we thank you, God, for this day. We thank you for this privilege, honor, and opportunity, God, to approach Thy throne of grace. Thank you, Heavenly Father, Lord, for your uh, kindness, your love, your mercy, and your grace. We thank you, Lord, for your precious word. We pray, God, Lord, as we uh, open thy precious word today, God, we pray, Lord, that we would examine the text, that we'd be faithful stewards, we'd rightly divide it, uh, that we might edify your people. Father, we pray, God, most of all, for those sick, afflicted, those in the nursing homes and the hospitals, uh, especially those nearest hell that have never received Jesus, precious to their never-dying soul. It's our cherished heart's desire, God, that they come to find Jesus precious to their never-dying soul. What's over us now? Keep us and care for us. We we'll thank you and praise you for all that you do. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> John chapter number 6. Uh, this is going to be part 1 of probably three parts. Uh, I'm going to try and uh, put, hopefully make it three parts. Maybe maybe we even get it down to two. Not sure. but um, We'll start, uh, like I said, with the first 21 verses uh, chapter 6, we uh, get into this right here. This is uh, <clears throat> the first illusion that we have. Uh, we have a parallel uh, in the other Gospels as well, of the feeding of the 5,000 Jesus walking upon the water. That's what we're going to tackle um, uh, today. But we're just coming out, <clears throat> uh, as we talked extensively uh, the last couple of weeks, uh, we kind of took a pause there and, and talked about some philosophy last week, uh, going into chapter number 6. Uh, but we come out of... Uh, uh, of Jesus dealing with uh, the resurrection. That's where we just came from. Uh, of course, the pool of Bethesda. And then we get into uh, other signs, workings, and miracles here. So in John chapter 6, verse 1, the Bible says, After these things Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great multitude followed him because they saw the miracles which he did on them that were diseased. And Jesus went up to the mountain. There he sat with his disciples. And the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was nigh. When Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, he said unto Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? Uh, and this uh, he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them, uh, that every one of them that may take a little. One of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him, there is a lad here which hath five barley loaves, two small fishes, and what are they among so many? And Jesus said, Make the men to sit down. Uh, now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed it to, uh, to the disciples and the disciples to them that were sat down, and likewise of the fishes as much as they would. When they were filled, he said unto his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, and nothing, that nothing be lost. Therefore, they gathered them together and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves which remained over above unto them that had eaten. Then those men which, uh, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, This is of a truth, uh, that prophet that should come unto the world. When Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king, he departed again into a mountain himself alone. And when even was now come, his disciples went down into the sea and entered into a ship 
and went over the sea toward Capernaum. Uh, and it was now dark, and Jesus was not come to them, and the sea arose by reason of a great wind that blew. So when they had rowed about five, uh, five and twenty or thirty furlongs, they see Jesus walking on the sea and drawing nine to the ship, and they were afraid. But he said unto them, It is I, be not afraid. That they w- uh, then they willingly received him into the ship, and immediately the ship was at the land uh, whither they went. And <clears throat> so we've been uh, really focusing on the Old Testament allusions and fulfillments of, of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, uh, and, and what the future prophecies, the forward-looking prophecies, uh, and how Jesus would be the fulfillment of all these things. And we see this right here. We see um, a strong Exodus tie again uh, that is alluding back to the, the, the Messiah, the Deliverer, the Redeemer. Uh, and we see that aspect come up, to, and it's brought before us again. And I just want to draw your attention to right here. Uh, so we'll get back into the, the beginning of the, the chapter right here. But it says, after these things, Jesus went over uh, over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, one in the same. And a great multitude followed him because they, because they saw his miracles, which he did on them that were diseased. <clears throat> and I just want to say this. Um, uh, when we see this right here in the text where it's mentioned as miracles, these are signs. And we've talked about his signs and the witness of his signs uh, in the previous five chapters. We've talked about them extensively. Uh, we focused on those signs and what those signs were representative of, uh, that he was the messianic son of God uh, that came in the lineage. Uh, uh, he was the root and offspring of David. Uh, and, and he came uh, to be and fulfill uh, the image of the second person of the Trinity, the Lord Jesus Christ, the messianic son of God. So we see this right here. Uh, and the Bible tells us right here that, that, that he is that he's working signs. These are, these are more than miracles. These are signs. Um, um, when, when we think of something miraculous, we often uh, wouldn't say that uh, it's necessarily a sign of things to come. We would just, um, I wouldn't say write it off, but we would, uh, you know, we would articulate that this miracle is something that is beyond our comprehension, our intellectual control. Or something that we can do with uh, that is outside of the realm of our possibility. That's really typically how we would describe a miracle. But these are signs. These signs are witnesses that Jesus is the Christ. So we get into this right here. We see these signs, uh, and, and I'm going to talk about this for just a few minutes. And the Bible says in verse three, and Jesus went up into a mountain. There he sat with his disciples. And we need to understand. Um, we can see this from especially Jewish and and, and Hebrew history. Um, and, and really their worldview of things, uh, mountains are, are, are persistently uh, used in symbolism and typified in the Old Testament, and that's a place of authority and a place of power. Um, and because Jesus, and now we need, to, we need to run back to this illusion right here. So what are we looking at right here? We're, we're talking about, uh, uh, in verse number four, the Bible says, and the Passover of Feast of the Jews was nigh. Okay, so we see this, this Passover is being uh, repetitiously reiterated by uh, uh, the Gospel of John as he's going, uh, or John himself, when he is going by and he is talking about these things because these are signs of the Redeemer. So uh, we get into this. Now we get into this Passover imagery, imagery and, and the narrative uh, immediately shifts our view back. Okay, so we're going back and this is a constant, a constant reiteration that, uh, of who Jesus Christ is. And so we see that it's the Passover time. So now we see uh, that things are drawing into view 
uh, a little better when we begin to understand these things. And there's double fulfillments and double meanings and implications in all these signs. They're not just miraculous. They are signs pointing uh, to the implication uh, of who Jesus Christ is. Okay, so uh, I just want to say this, just briefly recapping uh, as we get through here, we get to, we get over into John chapter number two. We talked extensively about when Jesus came uh, in verse number 20. He said, then said the Jews, 46 years was this temple in building uh, with thou reared up in three days, but he spake of the temple uh, of his body. So we see the double of the temple. It's not just a physical manif manifestation, but it is the uh, embodied uh, tabernacling of Christ among his people where the Shekinah glory uh, will dwell. Then we get into John chapter 3, the all familiar John chapter 3. We see the two births. Uh, we talk about the, the birthing of the nation of Israel and then being, being born again uh, into the new Israel. Uh, and, and, and which is the expanded Israel. This is not a replacement of the old Israel. This is an expansion uh, and the growth of God's family. Uh, this was the intention of the double birth. Then we see the two winds, uh, the two winds which are reiterated. We see right here, we see the creating breath, uh, the Ruach as we talked about uh, in the Old Testament. Uh, and then we get into the paraclete language in the Greek New Testament. The paraclete language is uh, the embodied presence of the Holy Ghost. It's not just the Creator, but it is the Creator that gives life. And now in the New Testament language, it also embodies. Uh, so we have that. We have the water, the double water fulfillment uh, uh, that we have as he's talking to the woman uh, at the well uh, when she was coming from Samaria. And he asked her, you know, if you drink of this water, you shall thirst again. But if you drink of the water that I shall give, you shall never thirst. Okay. And then we get into uh, John chapter 6 over here. And then we see uh, this double fulfillment coming into play again. As you'll see in the latter half of this chapter, we'll really focus a lot uh, when Jesus makes the declaration, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life comes from these two previous signs that he gives us right here that are captured in the beginning of this. So he said, your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness. He said, but they're dead. He said, but you're supposed to eat of the bread which comes from heaven. He said, I have come from heaven that I may do my, the, the will of my father. So he, he makes the declaration that I am the bread of life. I am the water of life. I am the new birth. I am the spirit of God. Uh, and I am the temple. Jesus is all, all in all. These are, these are far beyond miraculous. These are signs. Okay, so we get into this right here, and I want to focus here just a few minutes, uh, uh, and we get it kind of crawl into a Jewish mindset as we begin to see. So John himself was a Jew, uh, and we see a great emphasis on the tabernacles uh, and the feast days, uh, especially, especially, uh, the days of the Passover. So we, we want to crawl in and just do a historical recap and overview uh, of where the Jewish mindset would have been immediately in this day and time. So not only is Jesus, he is seated up into a mountain. He's a place of authority. He is seated. He's not standing. He is seated. Uh, so he is showing dominion and authority over all things. Okay, so, uh, and this is imagery that we ourselves as Western Christians today that we can't really see. But uh, when we get into this right here, we, we have what is called the Passover cedar, uh, uh, S-E-D-E-R. Uh, and we get into the Passover cedar. The implication of this is this was a celebration of the Passover. It wasn't just the institution of something that they celebrated one singular day. Uh, it wasn't just the operative events that, that transpired uh, in the tabernacle that the, that the priest would go uh, and they would carry out on the Days of Atonement. It was a feast days. And generally it was celebrated seven to eight days and they was 
there was liturgy uh, that should be followed in these things. Not only this, but and, and the reason I really want to get into this is because what they did during these feasts and these celebration of the feasts that they celebrated was they were representative of the Passover, the first Exodus Passover. Okay, uh, so we get into this and we see this cedar. I call it cedar. It may be cedar. I'm not sure. Uh, but so the, 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 the primary target uh, when they celebrated the Passover uh, was God's authority to control the sea uh, and the eating of, uh, of bread or manna, the provision. Okay, so it was provision and the control of the sea. These were the two paramount things and primary target things that they celebrated uh, as it was influenced uh, uh, by their fathers. Okay, so they would say, when you celebrate these things, celebrate these things uh, that your children may ask in days to come, why were you delivered? What happened? There was a set of questions, four questions that were to be asked and answered. Uh, and friends today, listen, I would encourage us to, to ask and answer uh, as we navigate and maneuver through uh, this world, this life. But we see right here, so uh, what they would do is they would take, uh, and everybody has heard uh, of matzah bread. So matzah bread is essentially unleavened bread. It's, it's a flattened loaf. Uh, but they would take this and they would eat this with bitter herbs, and this was to uh, uh, this was to celebrate being delivered uh, from the poor man's bread, which was unleavened, and the bitter herbs, which was a representation of slavery. Uh, but we get. Uh, we get uh, beyond this and we begin to see this narrative start to build and we understand that Jesus is doing uh, and working a sign among the Jewish congregation, which is really foreign to us. And because we don't celebrate these, uh, these feasts and these Passovers and we don't understand the historicity that follows all these things, we uh, often, uh, us often listen to what we do unintentionally uh, is we lose a lot um, of the weight of the text. Yes, it has great meaning, has great significance and great influence, has a lot of application. But when we really dive into the, the, the manifestation of Jesus Christ as the Messianic King that came to establish rule, reign, and domain over all things, uh, listen, not just earthly, but worldly, cosmos, uh, this is uh, this is the sign that he is coming to redeem the cosmos, the cosmos geographically, holistically, not one singular people, not one ethnicity, not one specific person, but he is coming to redeem all those that whosoever believe upon him should not perish, but have everlasting life. This is redemption of humanity, uh, not only of humanity, but the cosmos itself, the earth. Uh, all things, the reclaiming of the nations that was once surrendered and lost and yielded, uh, that began its deterioration uh, through uh, the fall of Adam. But we see right here, we get back to this Passover imagery. So Jesus is taking this right here. So they, they begin to focus on more. Uh, the Passover was more than just the lamb. There was the celebration of the unleavened bread, the, 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 the eating of the um, uh, of the bitter herbs and 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 the, and the lamb's bone and uh, there were so many implications that they were looking forward uh, and this was what was known as the ritual feast uh, and it was all of of a oral tradition oratorial tradition which was called the mashana but we get into this right here and this was the ritual feast so when we see that this is prevalent this is fresh on everyone's mind okay 
So the Bible tells us right here that Jesus is drawing them in, that he's sitting and he's seated on a place of authority. Uh, he, is, uh, uh, he is exercising his dominion. He, he is exercising himself as the great I am, and we'll get into that in just a few minutes. But, but now the Bible says in verse number five, when Jesus lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, he said unto Philip, whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? And we read in the other gospels as we parallel the text, uh, we see where this uh, uh, seems like that it comes from the disciples. And uh, But nevertheless, the conversation ensued uh, and they come to the conclusion uh, in verse number six, the Bible says, and this is he, uh, and this he said to prove him, okay, uh, for, uh, for he himself knew what he would do. So he wanted to know, uh, as he's diving into Philip right here, and he's pulling, he's, he's asking Philip, and he's bringing him to the point, he says, uh, I want to prove you, I want to understand where you are, what you're saying, and, and really do you understand, believe who I am, okay? So we get into this right here. Verse number seven, Philip says, Philip answered to him, 200 penny worth uh, of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them may take a little. So, okay, so this is, uh, however you want to read this, but historically this is somewhere in the likes of a half a year to a year's worth of wages. It's 200 penny worth of bread. Uh, is not sufficient for them because we see 5,000. Uh, we see the number of 5,000, okay? This is, not, this is labeling women uh, or men only. Uh, this is, not, this is a, uh, uh, exclusive of, uh, of women and children, okay? So uh, you can read lots of various texts and implications, but there uh, was uh, thought to be at minimum 10,000 and probably upwards of 20,000 people. Uh, but it's only numbered of the 5,000 uh, because that was only marking the men. But Philip nevertheless answers, uh, listen, as, as he turns into the economist in his head and the accountant in his head, he said, listen, Lord, he says it's going to take half a year to a year's worth of salary to even feed the amount of people that have gathered here. As you sit on the place of authority in a mountain overlooking these people that have followed you out. Okay, and as these people have followed you out, he said, listen, we don't have enough. There is nothing that we can provide. There's nothing that we can give. There's nothing that we can alter, offer. Okay, so one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him, there's a lad here. So now the disciples begin to disperse. They're trying to look around. And what is, what is the, where is their food? What can we do? What can we supply? And can we make provision? He said, there's a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes. But what are they among so many? Okay, and this is where it goes beyond miracle and into sign. Okay, uh, now we have this, uh, like I said, we have this immediate premonition of what a miracle is and the implications. And we uh, often would say that a miracle is something that, that, that is profoundly by, something beyond of which these physical hands can, uh, can, can execute or something that we can act on. But what Jesus moves into is a sign because he is a representative of God. And he is, the, he is the prophetic manifestation of the Messianic Son of God. He is making himself known, visibly, uh, uh, spiritually, and physically known as the High King of Heaven, as the ultimate Redeemer, the Redeemer that the Israelites prayed for uh, in the book of Exodus when we see that they were in bondage and captivity for 430 years. They had, fell, they had fallen under the hand of Pharaoh, and they had, and listen, they had yielded themselves as taskmasters. 
Uh, and we see that, that Pharaoh began to lord over them because of their population, their expansive population began to grow and bulge. And so uh, Pharaoh began to exert authority over them and made them slaves. And they began to cry and pray for a deliverer. Uh, 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 and God raised up uh, Moses and God, by the hand of Moses, delivered them. We go through uh, the Exodus event, the 10 miracles that, that happened. We preached on this a little bit on Sunday but we get past this, and they and they are uh, they're delivered uh, from this place of authority where they're in slavery, where they're in bondage, and where they will never find freedom. But God sends a deliverer, and we see this Exodus typology and imagery being projected now into Jesus Christ, where He is. Uh, the ransomed redeemer. He is the ultimate and supreme sacrifice that will lead his children out of slavery, out of dominion, out of bondage, everything that was yielded and lost and surrendered. Uh, God is now reclaiming in his son, Jesus Christ. There is none other. There is none better. Uh, but listen, now the Bible, we get into this. Before I get ahead of myself, he said, there's a lad here which had five barley loaves, two small fishes, but what are they among so many? And Jesus said, make the men to sit down. So now we see here where Jesus began, begins as we go back to the, uh, uh, the Exodus topology and he begins to assemble them in groups of 50 or 100 and he begins to seat them down. And we see this imagery right here where Jesus uh, is commanding from the mountain, the place of authority, and he's not standing, he is sitting. He is exerting and exercising his authority and his dominion. And he says, go make the men to sit down. Uh, now there was much grass in the place of so the men sat down to number about 5,000. Okay, and Jesus took the loaves. And when he had given thanks, okay, so now we get into this right here. He took the matzah bread and he blessed the bread, okay? So this unleavened bread uh, that, the, uh, that now was fresh in all the minds of the Jewish Israelites because they're celebrating the Sadar. And when they're celebrating the Sadar, it's present, ever present in their mind about the unleavened bread, which is representative of the bread that they ate at the exodus of Egypt uh, before uh, they were uh, ushered ultimately into the promised land. There's, there's years of wandering in wilderness, and we'll not get into that in just a second, but we, we find ourselves right here where Jesus is bringing himself as the prime target and the imagery of, of what they celebrated. Jesus is now making the declaration that I am, okay? Okay, so this is where I say, this goes beyond miracle. This are signs. These are placeholders. These are mile markers. These are informative, formidable events in the, in the establishment of the New Testament second temple era where Jesus is making his prominence, his authority, and his kingship as the Son of God, the great I Am, where he is making it manifest. And this is, this is running through all their minds. So Jesus took the loaves. He blessed them. Uh, he blessed them. When he had given thanks, he distributed them to his disciples. And the disciples to them that were set down, and likewise of the fishes, and as much as they would, when they were filled, he said unto his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. We see uh, in verse 13, the Bible says, therefore they gathered them together and filled 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which remained over and above unto them uh, that had eaten. We're not going to get into the uh, numerology that's associated with this, but there's a lot of symbolism. We see the number seven, the number 12, uh, but the, 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 the symbolic implication of this 
uh, is we need to pay attention to, especially in verse number 12, when he said, gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. And I want to remind you of a text that we read and we spent a lot of time with in, in the book of Romans. Uh, uh, in verse number 25, it says, I, uh, For I would not, brethren, that ye should not be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should uh, be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part is happening unto Israel, until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. Okay, so we, we go back to Romans uh, 9, where, the, where is the really uh, the beginning point of the conversation that's carried on over into Romans chapter number 11. He said, not all Israel are of Israel. Uh, but the Bible tells us that there's going to befall a blindness on Israel. And the scripture defines why that blindness is imposed on Israel. Why is that blindness imposed? Because they did not believe. And because of their unbelief, they were cut off from the vine. Okay. Well, they were cut off from the vine, and now we see the in, the engrafting and the ingress of the Gentile, which is the culmination. Uh, listen, Christ is not operating ethnocentric uh, here. Right? He's moved outside of these bounds. Uh, friends, listen, and this is all bounds that, that humanity, and the, these are the implications that humanity has put on the text and on the scripture. This is not how God operates. When he uses the Greek word pas, when he talks about all, he's talking about yellow, red, black, and white. Uh, the, the song that I learned when I was, the first song that I learned that was, uh, that was that should be an image and in the, in, in, in the projection of our Christianity today Yellow, yellow, red, black, and white, they are all precious in his sight. He did not come uh, to die for ethnicity, for place, for social standing or economic status. He came to die uh, for a people that was lost and in need of a redeemer and a savior. And if we yield ourselves unto him by belief and listen, cast our allegiance unto the Lord Jesus Christ, we can stand faithfully secure in his atoning grace under the umbrella of his wing. So the Bible tells us right here, he said, now go gather all the fragments that remain that nothing be lost. So God is going to gather Jew, Gentile. There is no difference. The Bible tells us uh, in the book of Galatians, there's neither bond nor free nor uh, Scythian nor barbarian nor Jew nor Greek. Amen. Uh, for we are all in the seed, in the messianic seed line, because we are the Imago Dei, the image of God or imagers of God. Because we are imagers of God, Christ has redeemed what is what has been yielded and fallen. And God is now reconciling all things back unto himself in Ephesians chapter 2, having torn down the middle wall of partition and reconciled and made Peace, okay? Uh, the peace is not between uh, ethnicities. The peace that has been reconciled is between, uh, listen, humanity and God has been reconciled, okay? Reconciliation and ransom has been offered and satisfied, asked and answered, okay? So we get, the Bible says, gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. Okay, so we see the implication of the 12 baskets. What is this alluding to? We can see the 12 tribes of Israel. We can see, uh, we can see symbolic representation of the 12 apostles. Uh, you combine those things. You see the 24 elders that are gathered in the book of Revelation. What is that speaking of? It's the culmination of the entirety of the new Israel, the true Israel, okay? Uh, that is not ethnocentric, but it is all those that believe and cast their allegiance in the Lord Jesus Christ, holy and solely, not divided over any other thing, but their, their allegiance is in Jesus Christ, 
the messianic king, the ultimate son of David. So the Bible says, Gather up the fragments that remain, nothing be lost. Therefore they gathered them together, and they filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves which remained over above unto them that had eaten. Okay? Verse number 14. So now we've talked about really the, the Jewish imagery that is projected on this right here. Okay? So this goes beyond reality. Uh, listen, I know I've said this. This is the third time I've said this. This goes beyond miraculous. This is a sign. This is an implication imposing a great theological significance of who Jesus Christ is, okay? So the Bible says, then those men, uh, when they had seen the miracle, the sign that Jesus did, said, this is of a truth, uh, that prophet, or another, or, or a better interpretation, this is of a truth, the prophet, uh, that should come into the world, okay? This is the prophet. This is the, the Messiah. Why are they saying these things? Because they see the significance that is being imposed uh, that comes from the Exodus event, okay? So Jesus, now listen, you, I, I'm, I'm not going to re-preach to you uh, the first five chapters that we spent extensive hours in. Uh, but listen, we see this sign topology, and we see Jesus manifesting himself over and over and over again. Listen, uh, as there's casting foreshadows uh, that are reaching back into the old covenant and casting their shadows forward into the Lord Jesus Christ. They said, this is the prophet. Okay, and we'll move on. Uh, right here, I'm going to tackle just a few more verses and wind this up. Okay, so now I'm going to get through verse number 21, at least today. So the Bible tells us right here, we see this as parallel events in two other gospels, in Matthew chapter number 14 and Mark chapter number 6. But the Bible tells us, it says, When Jesus therefore perceived that they would come to take him by force to make him a king, he departed again into a mountain himself alone. Okay, and I want to talk about this for just a few minutes. Now listen. We'll get into the latter half of John chapter 6, and they come over here, uh, and listen, this is all surrounding this bread event, okay, right here. When Jesus fed the multitudes, when he fed the five to 20,000 uh, people, uh, listen, we'll get into the following next week in verse number 22, you'll see where more people show up after the, uh, after the bread event, okay? Uh, but in the latter portion of, uh, of the sixth chapter right here, the, the bread language uh, comes to the forefront uh, in the fact that they were looking for, they were looking for a messianic king that would come uh, and set up a, a kingdom, an earthly kingdom, domain and reign uh, over the political natures. Th this is what the, their perception was is that they would come and regain Roman rule, that they would overthrow everything, and they would establish the Israel of old. Okay, so Jesus sees this, obviously. Uh, in verse number 15, it says, When Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king. Okay, so this, this is what they were talking about. Uh, this is why they lauded him. This is why they laid down the palm branches when he went in on the week of the Passover uh, uh, at the Passion event. We see there, that's why they laid down the palm branches. They thought that this was the sovereign king that was coming to regain and establish political rule and reign over all the authorities, dominions, and principalities and powers of the free known world. This is what they thought. This was their perception, and Jesus came to undo their perception. Okay, and later on, listen, all they wanted was their bellies filled. They, they wanted to talk about the bread uh, that God, listen, we go back and we see the Exodus event right here, and God fed them manna every day. 
from heaven. Jesus said, I listen, he said, your fathers ate that bread and they're dead. Okay. He said, I, I declare unto you, you must eat of the bread of life, which I am. Okay. So now we get into this right here. We'll read through this. So Jesus, he came to, uh, he saw what was going on, that there was a coup rising up. Uh, and the Jews, as you'll see that John alludes to the Jews, uh, especially because the Jews are the rebellious folks that John is dealing with in this gospel. The, the, when I say rebellious, I'm talking about uh, in the same type as the Exodus event, those when Moses ascended up uh, to, uh, to the mountain of God, when they came down, uh, listen, they melted down all their jewelry, their gold, and they formed a calf. These are the rebellious people. Uh, that Christ is dealing with, okay? They did not believe Moses, and they will not believe Christ. And that's what exactly what Jesus told them. Listen, he says, listen, you must be learned, uh, or you must be taught and learn of my Father. I'll get back to this, and I'm trying not to jump in uh, to the latter portion of this text before I get this done. But listen, you must, uh, you must learn and be taught of my Father. And once you learn and, uh, and, and are taught, then must you believe. But he said, now you won't even believe. That's your whole problem. And now listen, I'm going to bring something up to you. Uh, John, in the Gospel of John, he never uses the word faith. He only uses the word believe, um, which I thought was very, very interesting. He doesn't use the, uh, the Greek word pistis, uh, which can often be assimilated and affixed to uh, allegiance. But John cast his... Uh, uh, all of his language is based and enforced in belief. You must believe, okay? Which, uh, and we see the, the emphasis placed on believing is now, therefore, human responsibility, okay? Uh, we'll talk next week probably about the tension that exists in the Word of God, and I don't even believe it's a tension. There's a lot of people that would say that there is tension, but I personally don't believe that there is. Okay, we will never be saved without the initiatory drawing of God. Okay, we will never be saved. All humanity would forever and always be lost, cast into outer darkness without the initiation of God. Man himself cannot save himself. Okay, God initiates, God draws. Okay, John 12 32. Uh, just let me say this I, I, I was trying not to get into this, but uh, never. We're in the same chapter. Uh, so in John 6, 44, he says, No man can come unto me unless the Father which sent him draw him. 12, 32, he said, And if I and if I be lifted up the earth, we'll draw all men unto me. And I'm going to talk extensively about those two verses next week. But I, I, I can't not talk about them now. Listen, we get into this point right here. The emphasis is focused on believing, surrendering. We must believe. And we cannot be saved apart from the initiation and the draw of God. Okay, that's an impossibility. But in the same respect, human responsibility is now, now cast upon the initiatory drawing of God. Okay, so we have to have the draw of God and we have to have response. This is the culmination of salvation. So the Bible tells us now, in verse 16, And when even was now come, his disciples went down to the sea and entered into a ship and went over the sea toward Capernaum. And it was now dark. Jesus was... Uh, uh, not come to them, and the sea arose by reason of great wind that blew. Uh, so when they had rowed about uh, uh, five and twenty thirlongs, 
about approximately three and a half miles. They see Jesus walking on the sea and drawing nigh to the ship and were afraid. But he said unto them, and as I be not afraid, I'm going to read to you over in the book of Matthew uh, 14. It's in verse number 22. The Bible says, And straightway Jesus constrained the disciples to get in the ship, go before him on the other side, while he sent the multitudes away. Uh, and when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with wave, for the wind was uh, contrary. Uh, and in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went into them, walking on the sea. Okay? Now, where do we see this Exodus parallelism right here? We see when the children of Israel were led by the hand of God, pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire, we see them get down to the, uh, to the crossing of the Red Sea. It seems like that it is impossible, that it is an impossibility, but God had provided Moses to deliver. The people began to cry against him. The Bible says that Moses then ascended up onto a mountain and he prayed. Okay, and when Moses ascended up onto a mountain, he prayed. Uh, the Bible tells us the all familiar and famous passage where he said, stand still and see the salvation of God. Okay, uh, and God tells Moses, he says, I want you to go back down to the brim of the Red Sea. I want you to take the staff uh, that I've given unto thee. He said, I want you to lay it in the brim of the water. And the Bible tells us as he laid it in the brim of the water, the Bible tells us that the scripture says that uh, the Ruach, the wind of God began to blow. A strong east wind began to blow all night long. Okay, so it began to part and it parted the waters that the children of Israel crossed on dry ground. Okay, friends, listen. Uh, and the Passover imagery, imagery we must understand is this, uh, is that the people were passed over uh, because... God made provision, okay? But there has to be a pass-through point. And what is that pass-through point? This is why we have the Messianic Son of God, okay? Uh, because, now listen, we are, they were passed over because of types, shadows, and symbols. We are passed over today, okay? Because He has passed through. That is the significant difference is Jesus Christ has passed through all these things, okay? Uh, we live because he lives. We die because he dies. We can celebrate and rejoice in the resurrection because he has been resurrected, okay? We are in him constantly. We are never apart from him. We are never solely, wholly justified uh, in and of ourselves individualistically. We are in Jesus Christ. He is our justification. He is our sanctification. He is our glorification. We are all things in Jesus Christ. And apart from him, we are nothing. But now, nevertheless, List. We get back to this right here, where the Bible's telling us, okay, uh, th th they get back here, and, and the scripture tells us that Jesus ascended upon the mountain, the, the disciples are in a ship, they're trying to press their way uh, across the ocean water, and we see a tempestuous wind begin to, that was a, 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 an incredibly bad storm blew up on this little bit of lake, and this, this storm was so bad. Uh, that they themselves were feared to the point of death. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, it, it, uh, it is a spirit, and they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus uh, spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And this is what is not in included in the Gospel of John. And Peter answered him and said unto him, Lord, if it be, if it be thou, bid me to come unto thee on the water. 
And he said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the winds boisterous, he was afraid. Beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and called him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore did thou, uh, didst thou doubt? And I want to talk. I'll stop right here and just pause and say this. I believe that this is... Uh, a perfect imagery of what we just talked about, about the initiation of God, okay? Peter, listen, uh, a lot of people put emphasis on Peter walking. Yes, Peter walked, and I'm glad that Peter did walk, okay? Peter walked two or three more steps than I ever have. Uh, but this uh, is a symbolism of faith in Christ. But we must come to this point first, right? Listen, Peter was in a, in a state of despair. They, death was imminent in his perception. He didn't know if he was going to make it through this. He seen a spirit walking on the water, and Jesus made the declaration, it is I. I'm going to stop right here and say this. Okay, uh, now, as we remember, we went back as we are celebrating the Passover Siddhar. So that was the controlling of the sea and the eating of the manna. Okay, this was what they were really celebrating at the time of Passover. So Jesus makes this statement in verse number 20 as we jump back over to, to the Gospel of John. And he said, but he saith unto them, it is I, be not afraid. Ego imini. Okay, ego imini. That is the Greek language for I am. Okay, if we go back when Moses said, who shall I say sent me? God declared, I am. Okay, so now we see where when Jesus gets over here into the, la into the next few verses that we'll tackle next week, when he makes the declaration, I am the bread of life, it is playing off of these previous two events. Uh, and listen, and these events are more than miracles. They are signs. They are signs that he is king. Okay, so now listen, <laughs> now think about this. Now uh, Peter is on the ship. He's distraught. He believes it's the point of death. He, and they cry across the bow of the ship. And when the disciples saw him walking to see, they were troubled, saying, It's the Spirit. And they cried out for fear. <laughs> but Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. But friends, listen, I want you to think about this for just a few minutes. As these little Jewish men that were celebrating imminently the, the Passover event, they seen Jesus walking on the midst of the sea, and he declared, I am. I don't know if that does anything to you, uh, but friends, they listen. As they begin to see, this is the king, okay? They had moved far beyond. He is a prophet. He is a priest. They had moved on, and Peter declared, Thou art the Christ. The great I am. Okay? The uncreated creator stands in our existence. The eternal begotten son of God, the messianic king, is standing before me on the waters as Jesus has now made the declaration, I am. And Peter said, Lord, let me come unto you on the water. The Israelites walked across the Red Sea on dry ground. Jesus didn't walk on dry ground. He walked on the water. And Peter walked on the water. My friends, listen, what the, what the symbolism of this is, is we are not passing through. We are passing 
over because of Jesus Christ. He didn't. He no longer has to part to walk on dry ground. He simply walks across. Not only does Christ, this is the initiation of Christ when he comes to fallen, lost humanity. He comes to us because he has passed over. And in his initiation, it prompts a response from us. Thank God when the declaration of the gospel is made that he is the great I am. There is a response required and demanded from all humanity. And we respond in faith, Lord, bid me come unto thee. Now, friends, listen. Yes, we falter, we fail. That is representative of, of Peter looking uh, uh, listen to the boisterous winds and waves. He was called up. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. This I preached on this Sunday morning. This is a life of endurance, of patience. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Amen. Those that endure to the end shall be saved. Paul made the declaration, I have fought a good fight. I have kept the faith. I, I have finished my course. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord the righteous judge shall give me in that day through enduring temptation and patience with our eyes faithfully fixed walking in faithfulness and believing allegiance casting our crown unto him we are making our way toward the Lord Jesus because of the Passover we're walking on top toward Christ. And friends, listen, yes, we'll falter. Yes, we'll fail. We understand this, but our eyes must maintain fixed on him. And yes, we look around, we see the boisterous winds and the waves, but I'm glad, friends, listen, because of our allegiance, we're not saved of our own self-will or self-determination or righteousness or good works or deeds. We're saved because he is the great infinite I am. And in the moment of failure, Christ reaches down immediately, picks him up out of the water. O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou trouble? And when they were coming to the ship, the wind ceased. And I want you to pay attention to this. Then they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying of a truth, thou art the Son of God. Man, this is so rich. And when they were gone over, they came into the land of Gennesaret. Okay, now listen, I want to read to you a portion uh, of Mark chapter number 6 right here. Mark chapter number 6, verse number 45. Mark makes a... And when he was coming to him, uh, in the ship, the wind ceased, and they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure and considered... For they considered not the miracle of the love of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. Okay? And when he saw them toiling and rowing, for the winds was contrary to them, about the fourth watch of the night, he cometh them walking upon the sea and would have passed them. But when they saw him uh, walking upon the sea, they supposed it had been a spirit and cried out, for, for they all saw him and were troubled. And immediately he talked with them and said to them, Be of good cheer. It is I. I am. Be not afraid. <laughs> Amen. I am, be not afraid. And he went up unto them into the ship, and the wind ceased, and they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure and wondered. Okay? What manner of man is this, that even the winds and the seas obey his voice? The great 
I am. The imagery that was carried forth from the Exodus Passover, Jesus is working signs, visible signs in their presence. I am he. Look no further. The redemption that has been prophesied is presently now among you. I am. God bless you. We'll get back in uh, to the rest of John chapter 6 next week. I'm going to stop right now while I'm ahead because I tell you what, I think I'm just going to have to go pray and cry for a little while. Boy, I thank God for his richness, his presence, his grace, and his glory. God bless you today is our prayer.